anniversary conference. We have a weekend conference. Brother Garland Bobo from New Orleans is going to be preaching that night. It's, and we'll have praise and worship. It's going to be tremendous. And then on Saturday morning, I'll be speaking after the praise and worship. And uh, I'll be addressing about Christian Family Fellowship International and some of those things. And I'll probably bring up some of the missionaries and introduce them and talk about what has happened in the last 20 years on the mission field that's been a part of our ministry. And also, uh, Saturday night, Eliezer Hernandez, uh, one of my former youth music pastors down in South Florida. He is ministering in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina, and I dedicated their church, I don't know how many years ago now, six or so, five or six. Anyway, I've been going there for several years, and they have an awesome ministry there in Spanish, and now they've started an English service. Isn't that something? You can be in the United States of America, and your main service is in Spanish. But uh, it seems like more of our churches have Spanish involved than English sometimes. And uh, we have others. But he'll be speaking on Saturday evening at 6 p.m. But we're going to have lunch that day on Saturday. And there's a sign-up in the lobby out there as to what you might want to bring to be to add to it. We're going to have fried chicken. We're going to have baked chicken. We're going to have from God's Powerhouse, Sister Virginia's famous chicken and dumplings. And I'm sure others are going to bring some goodies and some good desserts and, and some, oh, it's going to be a great day. Because we can fellowship if we eat lunch after. You don't have to rush off. You can stay and talk as long as you want and hang out. And then that evening we come back for the 6 p.m. service. And then on Sunday morning, Garland Bilbo will be speaking in that service again. And we're going to ordain a couple people. One is Sister Susan Cooper. And then there's um, a man from Eliezer's church that we're going to be ordaining, one of his assistant pastors. And so, you know, uh, it's going to be great uh, to, to be a part of that, and you're going to enjoy it. But uh, Amanda, I finally figured out who you were. Good to have Amanda here. She was here last Sunday. Tina is your mom, right? Yes. Well, Tina was Lois's friend that came to the church, and I did her wedding. And I think her husband passed, didn't he? No? Yeah. Health issues. Well, we're going to believe for her husband to be touched by the hand of God. Tell her we said hi. Try to get her here next weekend. Yes. Amen. But uh, Chelsea is healing well after her C-section, and I'm sure her and John are watching via Facebook Live. And uh, what a precious little baby. Nova Rain, 7 pounds, 7 ounces. And if you're on Facebook, you'll get to see a picture there. She's put some pictures finally. I've learned as a grandpa not to announce anything before my kids do first. I, I've gotten in trouble in the past. But uh, anyway, we're we going to end October with a, a great uh, outpouring of God's Spirit. And then you can be praying for me. I'm headed to Mexico in somewhere around the first to second week of November. I'll actually be going to preach the 25th year anniversary 
of CFC and Aguas Calientes. And I'm the final exclamation point on their year of celebrating the 25th year anniversary. And if any of y'all would like to give or support uh, uh, me going and being a part of that, then you can write it on a check or memo and, and put it in the offering or you can put it in my hand, just make it CFI. And uh, anyway, I'm going to go and bless them and be a part. I was there before it started. I was there when I told Tino, if you don't start this church, I'm not going to support you anymore. But I knew he was wanting to. He just needed a little push. And, of course, I would have kept supporting him. But uh, I just gave him a little push, and, and they started that church, and what a great uh, thing is there now. Isaac, we turned it over to him just a few years ago, and he has just done a bang-up job. And they'll be here, the Gutierrez family, for the conference also. But uh, then I'll be going. So if you want to be a part of that, that would be a great blessing. And uh, the kids, are you all ready to go? Who's over the children's church today? Back there, Sister Karen. Okay. Are you coming or are you going? Oh, I can't think. Nikki's going to go help her. Uh, some of the kids are sick uh, in the Kennard family, so Anna's not here today. And other people have been sick. And Pastor Gin's going to come and say a prayer for those that have been sick and receive our offering today. Then my son, Zach, is going to step up here uh, when we were opening up the service. We, uh, we've been doing some work inside the fellowship hall. So if you want to take a peek in there as you're exiting the, the building today, feel free to do so. We, uh, we've painted all the walls and uh, I'm working on getting the kind of the details put in there. And we're a little more than halfway done with the ceiling. We're repainting the ceiling now. I say repainting. We're just painting it. It has not been painted before. Um, so we are painting the ceiling. Yeah, there's a picture. It's, uh, it looks very different from that picture now. Um, that's just one example of, uh, of what it looks like. That's Derek up there. Hi, Derek. Um, so we, uh, if you, you go in there, there's, uh, there's not as many chairs set up in there. Uh, we had a, a pretty, pretty great gaggle of people yesterday that was hanging out with us. Uh, Kevin was there. Uh, Philip was there. We had Randy. He was in there painting. And then Danielle and then Anna uh, was also helping out with some stuff. And um, and Derek came in the morning, helped out with uh, with a couple more things, and so, and then Danielle and I were were running around doing some stuff as well too. I was up on scaffold, running back and forth, and we all took turns on the scissor lift because you know you like to play with scissor lifts when you have it, and so we were able to be up there and uh, and hang out. So you can go ahead and, and look over. We're going to be doing some stuff in there uh, this afternoon, and then moving on until we are completed by the time that it happens. I, I'm pretty sure we're going to get done with the ceiling tonight. I think we'll be able to get done with that, and then we're just going to do some uh, some detail work, and then it's decorating. And so if you were wanting to, to help out with any of that stuff, maybe you, you can't hang out today or something like that, and you would like to do something throughout the week, uh, you can get a hold. Danielle's going to be doing a lot of the decorating for that, so uh, you, can, you can reach out to her, and she can point you in the direction of what she would need um, to get all the things from her brain actually into the, uh, the fellowship hall over there, too. How many guys are excited for the conference? It's going to be a good time. I mentioned earlier that I ran into uh, Jimmy Wagner with Crossroads uh, yesterday at, uh, at Menards, and he said that, uh, that they're going to bring a bunch of their guys in on Friday night and, uh, and hang out. So it's going to be good. There's lots of different people that we'll be able to connect with, lots of good uh, faces that we don't get to see on, uh, very often, and so I'm very excited to be able to see them. So the last a couple, a couple Sundays that I've been speaking, I've uh, been really 
dwelling a little bit more on the passage of Psalm 23 and the Good Shepherd. We won't be in Psalm 23, but the concept that's found in there I think is really important, uh, especially the, the first couple verses in there. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters, and restores my soul. That section has really been ministering to me, uh, just personally, just, just dwelling on that more and more and more. And so what I want to do is I want to go into uh, a passage in, in the book of James. But before I read in James, um, one of my professors from seminary, he wrote a book. His name is uh, Dr. Jeff Wadoff. He was a, uh, a NASA engineer. And, uh, and so his, the way that he, his mind thinks and kind of goes through things is really, really amazing. He taught our inner healing courses. And so he, uh, he wrote a book called Restoring the Soul, Living Free from the Wounds and Hurts of Life. And uh, he has a section in, uh, in, the th- in the third portion of his book where he talks about a couple things that I think is really important. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by just reading just a little bit of this. And he says, another way to understand freedom is through two important biblical words, shalom in the Old Testament and sozo in the New Testament. Shalom, it's the word for, so for shalom is used 232 times in the Old Testament. The meaning behind shalom is of completion and fulfillment of entering into a state of wholeness and unity. Shalom is translated as peace 111 times. One example is in what is known as the Aaronic benediction. And this is where God says, may the Lord look, uh, look with you, sorry, may the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace in the book of Numbers. 16 times it's translated as safe with the idea of being secure. Just like in Job 21, he says that their homes are safe and free from fear. The rod of God is not on them. Other translations, such as the, the CSB, translate shalom in this passage as secure. So safe, secure, peace. The word is translated as, as prosper seven times in Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says that he has plans to prosper you. Twice, it's translated as being uh, blessings, as in Jeremiah 16, 5, where it says, go back to the city with my blessing. And five times in the New American Standard, it translates shalom as well-being, just like in Isaiah 53, 5, which reads the the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. Isaiah 53 is a messianic chapter revealing God's redemptive plan which was fulfilled at the cross. And it's clear that the word shalom has a much weightier meaning than just feeling peaceful. How many of you guys have always thought of shalom as just being peaceful? Me included. Yes, I've always thought of it as being peaceful. But it has a lot more weight to it. Entering into the state of shalom is a place of security, safety, wholeness, and well-being. And so what I want to do is I want to focus a little bit on that, that topic of shalom this morning. Because if the Lord is my shepherd, meaning that I lack nothing, he makes me to lie down into gr- in green pastures and leads me beside still waters to restore my soul, then the restoration is so that we can have shalom present in our lives. He's the prince of peace. He's the mighty God, right? 
I think that there's a, there's a lot of things that tend to be going on. I saw a meme yesterday where it was like, it's talking about how millennials went through a series of Y2K and COVID and 9-11 and the, you know, the, the list goes on and on of all the catastrophic things. And you can go back into each generation, how there are seemingly different things that seem like it could be the end of the world as we know it right then and there. However, we're still here right now today. And so there are a lot of things that could take your mind and send it into a whole bunch of chaos. It's things personally that could do that as well, too, right? I mean, there's a lot of things you can read on the news, and you're like, that doesn't immediately affect me in a way that this relationship that just ended did, or the way that this job that I just lost affects me, or the way that this uh, contentious relationship with my boss at work is going, or and the way that I'm, I have estranged children that are just, you know, going all over the place, and it's, it's just so, so weighty on my mind, or the way that I have, and you can go, the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on of the different things. I just feel like I don't have enough time in the day to get the things accomplished that I need to. <coughs> and so there's a lot of things that could remove the shalom from your thought process. And so understanding that he is the good shepherd and that in him I lack nothing brings us to an opportunity to consider what is it that I'm placing in front of me that gives me the perception that I have lack. Again, what, is, what are the things that I'm looking at consistently that gives me the thought process that I have lack in my life? Because again, if you remember when we went through Psalm 23, the very end of the chapter describes what it is that you have an abundance of. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. What is the nothing that you lack? I have an abundance of the goodness and mercy. Another version, NIV says, the, his goodness and love will follow you all the days of your life. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In his house, there is no lack. Under his guidance and his leadership, there is no lack. When he is your shepherd, you have no lack. Again, it doesn't mean monetarily you, you have every single thing that you would ever want or need or anything like that. But it means that you are provided for with his mercy and his love. His goodness abounds greatly in our lives. And so what does that mean in any circumstance? Just like Paul said, I know what it's like to have a ton. And I know what it's like to have a little bit. But yet still, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We forget about the first part. When we, when we communicate, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's very easy to forget that he says, yeah, I, have, I know what it's like to not have much and what it's like to have a ton. So it's not monetarily that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's that I can navigate through anything that happens in life because it's Christ that gives me strength. And it's not on my own shoulders that I can, I can carry the burden of these things. We're actually supposed to take the things that are weighty on our shoulders and give it to God, and then we take on his yoke. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. So let's look a little bit further into this. So let's, let's go to the book of James. I love the book of James. It's fantastic. We're going to be James chapter 3 this morning, starting with verse 13. He says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. By deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor 
bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Mm. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. We've talked about the concept of a peacemaker a few times before, um, but I love I love this because of the communication that you see in Matthew chapter 5 that, God, that Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, right? The book of James is really interesting. James is, is a combination of, of, of Jesus and Proverbs is what I like to, to think of it as. If you listen to a guy named Tim Mackey, he really reiterates that, that James, um, or Jacob, you could call him Jacob too. Um, in English, it's James, but in the Hebrew, it's Jacob, but... Uh, he was the half-brother of Jesus. And so he grew up in a very wise household where as practicing Jews, they would be able to go through and they knew um, the writings of the Old Testament literature. The book of Proverbs is very big in being able to understand principles of how to, how to walk through life and how to be guided through that. He was also very well respected in, uh, in, in Jerusalem. He was the, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so he had pretty high esteem in the eyes of many different people. And so uh, being able to understand the teachings of his half-brother Jesus and then also applying much of the wisdom literature in his stuff, this letter that he actually writes is jam-packed full. It's, it's as if it's the book of Proverbs for the New Testament. This is the way that I, it's, it's just packed full of wisdom, full of wisdom. The first chapter actually deals with a lot of an outline, essentially, of the teachings that you find from uh, from James. And then chapters 2 through 5 unpack, I believe it's about 12 different um, small sections of, uh, of, of little stories or little quips that, that give you some good understanding of things. And so this is a, a, a very, very specific book that was written, or letter that was written. And soon after he wrote this, he was actually murdered. And so when he writes, in the very beginning for you to consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials. The, the church at that time was heavily persecuted for believing that, that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he's not writing these things half-heartedly or anything like that. This is very serious. And so in seeing the things that were going on and the way that, that, that Messianic Jews were being persecuted and the church at that time was being persecuted and the different things they were having to navigate through and there was a, a pretty big famine and all kinds of things happening Currently, in that time, you can see where he is asking, who is wise among you? Right before that, if we look in verse 9, you don't have to worry about this. I'm just, just listen to the, to the verse here. It says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? 
My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So then who is wise and understanding among you? That's how he leads into that, that spot. Who then is wise among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. It's one thing to be able to speak and communicate things, but it's another thing for us to be able to walk these things out. This is, this is a very hard process that, that is applicable to everyone in the room, not just people sitting. This is something that we all have to be able to go back through. We have to be able to look at Scripture and say, okay, what does Scripture say? Am I actually doing what Scripture is saying that I should be doing? Because it's very easy to be selfish. It's very easy to have, have ambitions of, of the flesh kind of pop out. And so he says, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. That's very interesting. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. So if we're, if we're harboring these things in our hearts, this shouldn't be something that should just be boasted on or, or, or even thinking like, well, I know the truth, but I'm going to deny it because this is something that I'm holding on to tightly. When I think of harboring something, it's you, I think of ships. You know, you, you're able to put something in a harbor. You're able to, to store it, to keep it, to man it. Maybe you're going to transport it from one harbor to, to another place. Maybe you're, you know, you're going to go trade or maybe you're going to do something like that. Um, perhaps you're just using this as storage for now until you're able to take it into the town and then disseminate it so that you can make, make some money from something. Maybe you're harboring, harboring fugitives. You're pulling people in and you're getting ready to, to, to ship them out. Or maybe you're trying to escape from somewhere. And uh, so you're harboring some people there so that they can hide out in safety and then get them from one location to another. It says, if you harbor bitterness or if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. The thing about, den about not denying the truth is it causes you to consider the truth and then to start to apply it. The truth of the matter is if you think about, about this as being something that, that James is pulling from the teachings of Jesus as recognizing him as the Messiah and then applying the, the concept of the passages from, from Proverbs, you start to realize that he's also talking about the matters of the heart coming out into the, into the process of how you live your life. Just like in Jesus in Matthew 5, he says, you've heard it said that if you, um, uh, not to murder somebody, but if you have just anger harbored for your brother, then you have already committed the act of murder in your heart. So he's, he's pulling the concept of if you're harboring something inside, then you have to meet that thing with truth and then figure out which one you're going to side with. Which one you're going to actually live your life in, in contingency with. And so all these things are leading up. We're, we're getting to a place where you're able to see the very fi final process of this chaptered verse. So he said, if you harbor bitter and envy and selfish ambition in your heart, 
do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, quote unquote, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. There's the truth. This wisdom that you'll get from all over the place. You can look at social media, and you'll find that people will try to have these specific lofty ways of communicating their bitter envy, their hatred, their resentment, their specific selfish ambition that drives them into a place and catapults them over and on top of and crushing other people below them because they want to get to the next place or they want to get to the next thing. And so they crush others un underneath them. There's certain tactics that these people use many times, and, and it's easy as we, as we take in more and more of this, of this type of information, as we take in a lot of this type of thought process and, and things like that, and we don't meet it with truth, it's very easy for that to become embedded into our own hearts. And then we start to apply those things, even subconsciously. You may not be wanting to do that, but because you're collecting all of that information constantly, and that's the thing that you're using to entertain yourself or to, or to just spend your time reading into, then that stuff is going to be the stuff that embeds inside of you, and then that's going to be the way that you start to portray yourself. He said that kind of wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then it's peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit impartial and sincere. Here's where we don't need to get this misunderstood. He doesn't say the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure to another person's standard. Peace loving by only doing what other people want you to do. Speaking to myself right now as well. Consider it by making sure that you don't hurt anybody's feelings by speaking the truth. Submissive to all types of people, making sure that they're all happy with everything that you do. Full of mercy without any framework for what truth and justice means. Having good fruit that only lasts for a short amount of while is impartial by showing that there is no such thing as a standard of holiness and sincere only to your fleshly desires. It's very easy to curb those thought processes and to look at other people and making them become your standard of where you live your life. This wisdom comes from heaven, not from other people. Shalom. This is easy for me to do as well, too. Let me tell you this. I mean, I'm, I'm just by nature a people pleaser. And so it's very easy for me to want to make people satisfied with what I'm doing. And then to curb whatever it is that I'm saying to be able to to soften the blow of maybe what I want 
to really communicate at times. It, I mean, I'm telling you, it's very easy for me to do that if I allow myself to. Having an overt amount of mercy in a sense to where there's no standard that could be set. So mercy is actually allowing for um, injustice to occur. The good fruit is really only measured by the praise that you can get in that current moment instead of actually having good fruit that lasts and that has the sweetness of the fruit that it's supposed to have to where it's used, it's able to be used further. It's not just a plastic piece that looks good on the table, but it's an actual fruit. The wisdom comes from heaven is first of all pure. The purity of this wisdom has to have a standard. So where is that standard being set in your own life? Is it set to what your parents are wanting for you to do? And that's the only framework or guideline that you have? Now, if you have great um, uh, God-loving parents, fantastic. But still, you have to live by the standard of the biblical principle and not just other people's opinions. Is it the standard that your boss has in front of you? If they have a great moral compass, sure, that's that makes it a little easier because then you're not in a lot of conflict. However, if you start to get to where you're confronted with someone who's not really walking in the ways of the Lord, then you're going to have to figure out what standard that's going to be set on. The, the, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. That purity has to come from the one who sits on the throne. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see. Ah, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. If we don't have a pure heart in the things that we're doing, we could have good intentions, and that's great. People with good intentions also still do wrong things. We can all agree with that, right? Yeah. People with good intentions can still do things incorrectly, can still do things wrong. So you can still have good intentions. However, when you move in a position where your focus is on the one whose heart is first of all pure, then as you pursue his heart, then your motives will start to line up with what he wants because your standard is his standard. And it's not somebody else's standard of what it means for you to be a believer. If the only person that you listen to on what the standard is supposed to look like is me, then you will end up with an incomplete sentence in your life. Because I'm still human. I still make a lot of mistakes. I'm still learning a lot. So it does. So I can't be the one that has the standard of holiness. None of the pastors here can be the ones who provide the single standard of holiness that you have. We have to be good people to know his voice and to follow what he has to say. We talked about this two Sundays ago. John 10, my sheep know my voice and follow me. When they hear another voice, they run from it that they don't recognize. We have to know his voice. It's not enough to just know a voice on a Sunday or no voice on a Wednesday. These things don't are, are partially beneficial. The fruit doesn't last long. It's a fake Christmas tree. You have to consistently go and get those, those little car fresheners that show you that you have pine scents in here. It's not a true pine. You don't have the, the, the long-lasting life that comes from having something that is true 
the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving. The God of peace. A place of security, safety, wholeness, and well-being. It's considerate. The peace that you have as a peacemaker, blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemakers are the ones who can walk into a chaotic scenario and bring peace into the place. It's not someone who just walks into every single peaceful environment, skating around conflict and different opportunities to be able to bring peace. A peacemaker is someone who walks into a place and makes peace there. Whenever you look at the, the armor of God, what were the, what were the shoes? The gospel of peace. As you walk into places, you're walking with the peace of God and the wisdom of heaven, knowing how to bring what is chaotic into peace. Those who could be around you who are full of chaos could be brought into a position of peace because you're not measured by their barometer. You're not measured by the things that they're trying to put out. You can recognize what's going on, but that's not the standard that you're supposed to live by. Becoming a chameleon in every single place that you go into. What we get to do is we get to walk into places, even if there's chaos, because you hear his voice, and in the midst of any other voices, you can still hear his voice. Listen to what he says and then walk out in truth. And if there's not something specific that you hear from him, then, then you can recall scripture because that's his voice as well. What does the scripture say about when someone confronts you with, with, with anger and malice and hate? You love them. Loving them doesn't mean you give them permission to continue, but loving them means that you're not met with, the, with their own standard. You're met with the standard of heaven. And from there, you can bring them out of that chaos and into peace. Considerate. <laughs> Being considerate means that you're not full of selfish ambition. If you can be considerate of others, that means you can put others in a place of understanding what it is that that you can do to help them out as well, too. You're not full of selfish ambition. Also being considerate of what his word says. Because, again, we're not measured by other people's standard. We're measured by his standard. So we consider what his word says over what other people's opinions of what should be going on says. doesn't mean we're disrespectful. By any means, we don't need to be disrespectful. Just because someone says something that is against the word, that's been happening since the the time of, of, of the disobedience of Adam and Eve. People have been doing things that's against the word of God. So it doesn't mean that we have to be disrespectful, but it means that we hold ourselves to the standard of holiness that is set before us by God's word. So we could happily disagree with somebody because we are not bound by their opinion of our lives. We're bound by the opinion of who God says that we are. So I'm considerate of his word and I'm submissive. Again, this is a part that's 
that could be difficult for someone like me who could be more of a people pleaser because I, it would be easy for me to just submit to whoever desired something out of that time. And I'm very laid back in just my own personality and stuff. So it's like, sure, we can do this. Sure, we can do that. Sure. I'm just full of sures. That's all. That's all. Sure. Let's, let's go for it. Sure. That's great. But that's not always great. It's not always great. Actually, it could lead easily into double-mindedness, which makes you unstable. So the submissiveness needs to actually come from submitting to the word of God. Because the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, so I need to be submissive to the one who is pure. The good shepherd who will lead me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And it'll be a full of mercy and good fruit. Full of mercy and good fruit. Jesus was full of mercy and good fruit. It didn't mean that he was unaware of the law. That's, I mean, you, the Pharisees at every turn, every twist, every corner, they were trying to trip Jesus up by saying, well, you know, this is what the law says. What do you think about this? Let's bring this lady out here. She was fornicating. What do you think about her? What do we do? You just healed somebody on the Sabbath. What the heck, dude? Your disciples are eating on the Sabbath. Are you kidding me right now? They're, they're, they're picking up some food and stuff. We're not supposed to be working on this day. We're supposed to be pre-prepared. Around every corner, they were trying to trip him up and, and pull some things away. He wasn't unaware of the law, but he was full of mercy in the midst of it. Knowing what the law actually meant. So I, that's why I always go back to Matthew chapter 5. I love that passage. Because he gives his halakha, his un- interpretation and understanding of what the law was supposed to lead you to and what it was supposed to prevent you from. It's supposed to lead you closer to God and prevent you from walking into what James describes in his book as, as the enticement of the flesh leading you and dragging you away. Allowing sin to implant itself as a seed and then when that seed grows and gives, uh, it grows into sin and when it gives birth, it gives birth to death. leading you away from those processes of what's going on internally will sooner or later come out. It'll enter as a seed, but it'll come out as a full-blown, sinful baby. So how are we reacting to this? Full of mercy and good fruit. The thing about, about some good fruit, too, is that you have access to seed. You can continue to plant if the tree is great, then it'll actually produce that good fruit. That's what I love about the, the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruits. The fruit of the Spirit in its essence is love. And then from that, you get the other textures and flavors and the different characters and attributes of love accepts. Or sorry, now I was about to go into a, uh, a thing. Love accepts forgiveness. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All those things come from in, in the flavor of the fruit. You don't just pluck love here one time and you pluck joy on that side. It's all encompassing. It is the fruit of the spirit. When you're grafted into the vine, the fruit that comes from being grafted into the vine is the fruit that has these attributes to it. Then you're impartial and sincere. Jonathan wrote that down. You're impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. 
when you sh- when you sow in peace, you reap a harvest of righteousness. When you sow in shalom, when you sow in a place of security, a place of safety, a place of wholeness and well-being, you will reap righteousness. Think about that. When you sow into a place of security, safety, wholeness, and well-being, then you will reap righteousness. If we have our minds full of chaos, it's very hard to reap reap righteousness because chaos does not bring out righteousness. It brings out disorder. Righteousness is right standing. So if you have chaos that's consistently a part of your thought process and mind, if you're consistently going to these places, then it's going to be very hard for the things that come out in your life, the way that you reap your and your actions and the things that you do for you to have righteousness as a part of that. Because chaos is the ruler, not peace, not the shalom of God. He is the prince of peace, safety, security, the wholeness that comes in your life. Wholeness comes from being in shalom. And this brings me all the way back to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters so that I can be restored. He restores my soul. That's the place where you find restoration is in the stillness and in the shalom, the place of security, the place of safety, the place of wholeness and well-being. That's found in the place where God restores you. But that cannot come with chaos. It comes in stillness. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The stillness of your heavenly Father, the stillness of your master, should cause and create a place for the Lord to speak to your heart so that you, he can call things out and convict you of the things that are going on. It's very hard to hear conviction when you're full of busyness. Very hard. I, I, I could be very busy in my life. I, there's, I can have, at any point in time, I can have my computer open and doing all kinds of except for my job at the college, other things that I'm doing in, in life. And there's, there's just, it seems like there's a project around every single corner. I could spend every moment with a computer open and not run out of things to do. But it's only when I close my computer, it's only when I remove distractions that I'm able to sit and actually listen. It's when I remove the, my, my device from my ear when I turn off videos, I love doing research and listening to big videos and lectures and things like that, but it's only when I turn that stuff off that I can actually hear his voice outside of other people's voices. It's very hard for me to connect with my wife if I'm constantly doing other things that are drawing my attention away from her and we can't have good conversations. But when we're face-to-face, when we're sitting there and there's nothing between us, no competing voices we can really talk about things that are not just hey what time are we doing dinner tonight hey what's going it's not a task oriented thing it's relational 
easy to lose sight of that when you feel like you're being productive. Sometimes we thrive in the midst of chaos because there's a lot of things going on and you can be firing on, on all cylinders, especially if you have a mind that can really track around lots of different things at the same time. It can be very exciting to have lots of activity going on. I'm kind of like that. I, I like when there's a bunch of stuff going on. I like thrive in that environment. It's super fun for me. However, it, you cannot be relational in those moments. The, uh, two Wednesday nights ago, we did Fields of Faith over at the, uh, at the high school. And just from the time that I got to, uh, really, throughout the day, in the morning, my phone consistently ringing. Different people asking, hey, where do we need to put this thing? What time are we going to set up here? What's going to go on here? What's going to happen at this point? So from the time, it was probably like 10 o'clock all the way through until the very time that we struck the first chord and gave the introduction, there was somebody calling or there was somebody who would come up. I'd be in the middle of a conversation with somebody while while we're setting up about one thing, and then somebody else comes up and asks me about another thing. Consistently, things going on. It was fun. We were getting a lot of things accomplished, but it seemed like there there was one of the guys that were there. We were kind of in the middle of like a an on again and off again like serious conversation that we were having but people kept coming in and, and interrupting like a phone call or if it's somebody who needed another layout of the day or whatever was going on things kept happening and so it's like we kept engaging for like 30 seconds in this conversation and then it had to hit the eject button and then go and do something else then i'd step back in engage in the conversation for about 10 seconds have to hit the eject button and go back out It's very hard to sit and have a really good conversation with the Lord if we keep having to hit the eject button because there's chaos around. Chaos can mask itself in productivity very easily. But do we actually spend the time, do I actually spend the time to sit and to listen to what he has to say? get a lot of wisdom from a lot of people, but is the one who is full of wisdom one that we consistently go to? Is he the one that that our hearts are drawn to in these times when we invest ourselves into the place of security? Who is that place of security? Or what tends to be your place of security? Do you feel more secure when you're able to just busy your hands? Maybe it's you feel more secure sitting in front of a screen for a long period of time, just letting somebody else's rendition of a story fill your hours of the day because it's more beneficial for you in that time to feel like you're investing yourself in someone else's life instead of thinking about what is going on in your own life. What are the distractions that are causing you to be pulled away from the voice of the one who provides you with everything that you need? Investing in our place of security. A place of safety. Who's providing your fullness and your well-being? Could it be that other people are not providing that for you so you find yourself in bitterness? Could it be that you see that somebody else has things that you have desired for your own life and so you're aggravated that you haven't been able to achieve those things or receive that one thing and so you find yourself in in an envious situation? 
constantly pouring over your 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 mind and thoughts. aren't walking in righteousness as we should. And we, we need to reconsider where we're investing ourselves, where we're planting, what soil we're planting ourselves in right now. But if the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That nothing is his goodness and mercy. His goodness and his love that will follow me in all the days of my life. Because he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down uh, in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And then he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We won't reap righteousness until we have ourselves planted in the wholeness, the safety, and the security of his presence. We don't hear his voice. We won't be whole. We will be in lack we don't plant ourselves and listen to the voice of the good shepherd. His voice is not the prevalent thing on our mind. It's how I can fulfill my own desires and, and, and make my own way. I'm telling you, this passage is making me reconsider all the different ways that I've tried to listen for his voice or tried to, to appease what seems to be the process of doing good for his kingdom is, is what you are doing right now is what I'm doing right now what you desire or is this just right is, is what is good and his good hand for the kingdom work if I'm not driven by his voice then what's driving me tell you if it's not his voice it will never amount to be anything that is close to being satisfactory you'll constantly strive constantly chase constantly seek and you will not find what does it mean to be a peacemaker it means that you invest yourself selfish ambition present in your heart. It'll be all for him. I want to read just a, a quick thing and I'll, I'll end with this. This is a, this has been a really good book so far. It's called Chasing Revival. This is written, um, it's a pseudoname, Eugene Bach. And it's actually um, a pastor from the underground church in China. Can't use his name to unveil who he is. So use a pseudonym.
maybe one of the reasons why it's challenging to see revival in our modern countries today is because forgiveness is not a necessity when sin is acceptable. It seems society has been writing the book on morality and Christians have all have been all too amendable to adopt it. The journalist is writing sermons on morality and the priest is taking notes. The lost world is shaping the way we read the Bible. Take a little of this, toss that, sprinkle a little bit of this. Unfortunately, the truth of God's word is not really known to the world. Jesus said even the religious elect do not necessarily know him. Therefore, if it is truth we seek, we cannot accept the world's evaluation of scripture or neglect to evaluate what is preached in a church or by a professing Christian against the word of God. The love of Christ cannot be fully comprehended by the world, and this lack of comprehension causes confusion. Somewhere along the line, Satan started a lie that Christians cannot condemn sin because that would not be a loving thing to do. The reasoning goes like this. Jesus loves everyone, including sinners. Therefore, Christians must be accepting of both the sinner and the sin without the need for repentance. Therefore, Christians who dare to share verses of the Bible in an effort to clarify truth are considered to be offensive. So keep in mind that many of those who are offended would readily admit that they do not believe in the Bible, even though they could quote scriptures in an argument to keep them quiet. If, as a Christian, you say something considered offensive, then you are not a very loving person. In Christ, it was all about love, and the Bible is really all about love. So if you follow Christ, then you also have to be about love. This is the logic of the world, which insists on dictating what Christians ought to believe. In this way, the world creates Christian paradigms that shackle believers. They define what love is and what it isn't, and then they attempt to confine us in the straitjacket of their definition. But love is not really known by the world, so we cannot accept the world's definition. And I'll finish with this, this little exception here. Many Christians foolishly fall into this trap because they are unaware of what Christ's love truly means. Love is being confused with compromise, and it is not the same as compromise. In fact, compromising on sin is the opposite of Christian love. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love, but not just any love. He is agape love which means that he loves us no matter what. In this very nature, it is self-sacrificial. In fact, he loves us so much that he sacrificed his life for us, and we as his followers must emulate that. If we show Christ's love, then we must be willing to give our life for others. We must be willing to be isolated, to be rejected, to be spit upon, and even to be crucified. If Christ loves others and we love Christ, then we love others because we become vessels of his love. We cannot flip those two around, loving people, hoping that in our love for people, God loves us. We love God first, and in, in our love for him, we have his heart for others. And Jesus, in his love for others, was not shy about truth. He spoke truth boldly. You look at all the Gospels, all the representations that he has there. He was not soft on truth. 
but he was not also removed of love. He had compassion for people. And in that compassion, he desired for more from them. And in that more, he loved them through their misunderstanding of what it really meant to love God and to hear his voice. He came as a representative of how we could also live our lives, speaking the truth in love, but also being able to go out into the world and bring people in. It wasn't just for the religious, it was for all of humanity. But we cannot be full of chaos. We have to first be rooted in his peace and his love. And in that, we can find that righteousness will abound. We have to first be people who are made whole. It's very hard to be able to go through what is expected of us as Christians if we ourselves are not walking through the process of freedom. You can't really disciple people very well when you are not full of freedom yourself. I cannot pastor well if I'm not full of freedom in my life. And it's not just a single occurrence. This is a, a thing that happens progressively and consistently. We can be full of this. And so I just want to take a few moments. I've done this a few times, but I, I, I find that this is more beneficial than a word that I can say on my own. We're going to take a few moments of silence as Sean plays. And I just want you to, to listen for his voice and pray the same prayer that Samuel did whenever the Lord was calling on his name. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us. We're open to your voice. As your servants, we want to hear you. Speak, Lord. Servants are listening.
but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for being with us, not just on Sunday mornings, but in all the days of our lives. We pray, Father, that you move on our hearts to be peacemakers in the places that we go. Give us promptings when we become too busybodies. Give us a check in our spirit when we consume story too much and not listen to your voice. Forgive us, Father, for the times that we have concentrated on fear or the manipulation of the enemy that we are not secure in you. And we reject the quote-unquote wisdom of the earth. listening to voices that are not in line with you. Taking that as our own wisdom and having that produce the fruit in our lives. Father, let us sow into peace so that we can reap a harvest of righteousness for your name's sake so that as people see the good deeds of our lives, they can give you glory and recognize that you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Praise because you deserve it. Honor because you're worthy. So let us be attentive to your voice, Father. Continue to work on our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. You guys have a fantastic Sunday. If you would like some prayer, we'll be up here for a little while. Otherwise, have a wonderful day. Go have lunch with somebody. Watch some football. Be here Friday night for our conference, 7 p.m. See you then.